श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री भगवान सिंह चतुर्दशी महामहोत्सव तिथि की जय भक्त प्रहलाद की जय श्री लक्ष्मी नृसिंह देव की जय आशी अहोवलम धाम की जय गौर भक्तवृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंदे बोलो हरि बो Today we'll speak a little bit in honor of Shri Jing Bhagwan, and we did speak a little bit last night also, uh, briefly, and largely with regard to the influence of and presence of Bhagwan Nishini and Gaur Lila. Not uh, long ago, about a month past, we also discussed the appearance of Ram Chandra, Bhagwan Ram, and. Shri Rupa Goswami, I think I mentioned at that time, has written in his Lagu Bhagavatamrita. Lagu Bhagavatamrita is a very nice book in which Shri Rupa Goswami goes through all the different avatars and different types and so forth of appearances of the Lord and analyzes them. And of course, he comes to the same conclusion that is arrived at in other texts that go about this in a slightly different way. This type of analysis. And that conclusion is that Krishna is the source of all avatars. This song we just sang of Jayadev Goswami, as we mentioned last night, says the, the same thing, an important point for us. And so, amongst all the different avatars, we, of which the Bhagavatam says they are asankhya, innumerable, uncountable, Certain principal avatars have been mentioned in different ways at different times, two places in the Bhagavatam. And here's this famous song of Jayadev, celebrated by Mahaprabhu and all the Oriyan Vaishnavas, and Jagannath Puri, and all over the world for that matter. Very famous song, introduction to Gita Govinda, mentioning what's considered by Sri Jayadev ten principal avatars. Avatar means, of course, the descent of Bhagwan and it's uh, to, to, to this world. And... Um, it's the descent of whom? It's the descent of Krishna in various forms. So when contemplating these different avatars, then we think of our uh, Ishta Devata, Sri Krishna, Radha Krishna, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, appeared in this way, at this at this time, and in this way, and another time he appeared like this, and he did this. And this just serves to um, expound upon the numerous, innumerable, I should say, glories, qualities of, of um, our deity. <clears throat> so amongst them, in Lagu Bhagavatamrita, Sri Rupa Goswami has said, and I think I mentioned this during the uh, Ram Nomi, that two of them are the most important, and that is Ram and Bhagavan Narasimha. And he describes them as Sad Aishwarya avatars, means that in their person, all the six opulences are manifest. There's a definition of Bhagavan given by Parashara, the precursor to Vyas, and I guess the father of Vyas. We saw that in the Mahabharat the other night, out of uh, extraordinary circumstances. The wonderful appearance of, of Vyas through Parashuram and the... And the uh, I want to say Satyavati. So Parashuram, he defined Bhagwan in this way. He said that uh, 
Aishvaryasya, Samagrasya, Viryasya, Yashashasriya, and uh, Gyan and Bhairagya also. <laughs> that uh, wealth, Aishvaryasya, Yashasha, fame, beauty, strength, Buddha, wealth, fame, strength, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. These he calls um, various um, opulences, six opulence, Sadaishwarya. And the idea is that who possesses them and, and to whatever extent they become attracted. We're attracted to, to wealth. Um, we're attracted to fame, famous people. We're attracted to beauty, beautiful people. We're attracted to strength, to protect and, and so forth. And, uh, Strength and, and uh, knowledge we're attracted to, do, and, and renunciation we're very attracted to also. If someone can give up everything, then we think, well, he must, she must have something very valuable. We're attracted. So the definition of Parashara, of Bhagwan then is one who possesses all of these opulences, not one of them or two of them, but all of them, and not just all of them, but all of them completely in full, completely beautiful, <laughs> and completely strong, and completely famous, and so forth. This is Bhagwan. In other words, Bhagwan is what? All attractive. If these opulences are attractive to us, then one who possesses them all is all attractive, which, of course, is a translation for the name Krishna. Maybe not a translation, but um, it is said that Krishna is considered to be all attractive, irresistible even. So amongst his avatars, Ram and Nishinga, they are also attractive, apparently, and, um, and full of six opulences, as opposed to other avatars that display one or two or three or four or to one extent or another, these, um, these opulences and are thereby uh, attractive. We talked about how Ram, although not appearing much in Gaur Leela, nonetheless pervades the Leela, in the person of Mahaprabhu himself, in terms of his adherence, Chaitanya Dev's adherence to, to the Vedic rule and to duty, and um, setting thereby for us an example. It's called Mariyada, etiquette. We consider this to be the beauty of the Vaishnav, the observance of the etiquette, and knowing one's place, and, and so forth, even while he crossed over all of that at the same time. So the two... Uh, interestingly enough, and as opposed as they are, they, they go together, following the rules and breaking the rules, and as much as rules are made to be broken, ultimately. <laughs> the rules, let's take morality, for example, it's, it's to keep people in order. But if you're in order, then you don't need to be kept in order, then you can do what, then whatever you do. And this is, of course, Krishna Lila. It's beyond morality. It's not immoral. Morality is for the rebellious, for the, for the criminal. So if one becomes healthy, morality no longer has any, any jurisdiction. And what is the unhealthiness? It's selfishness, in a word. That uh, tendency within us, due identification with, with, uh, with matter and the needs, for example, of the body, we're, we're takers. So we, we can't interact without being on the take to one extent or another. 
So there are guidelines to help us take within reason and within balance and, and so forth that we may become weaned from our appetite of taking. Because as we do, of course, then we, we feel actually feel better about ourselves the less we take. We start to feel kind of a, whole, a wholeness that wasn't there previously. So, point being that it's not a particular activity that's immoral, but the spirit behind it. And therefore, Krishna Leela is depicted as being centered on activities that in and of themselves appear to be the height of, of in times gone by, moral society, uh, the height of immorality, especially in uh, Victorian times and, uh, and earlier. Now people don't give this much thought, but the point here, of course, is that the activity itself, it's a little hard to grasp, is not the problem, it's the spirit behind it. So Krishna has no, is not a taker. He is a taker, yes, that's true, I should say, but he's a taker, and rightfully so, because by his taking, giving goes on in a way that would not otherwise. I've given the example before of the stomach in the body, the Bhagavatam also gives the example of the root to the, of the tree. You can pour water on the leaves, you can pour water on the branches and on the fruits, and the buds and the blossoms and so forth, and it will do something, but nothing in comparison to pouring water on the root. This is the stomach of the tree. And mystically, when the water is poured on the root, and it's a little mystical, it's hard to grasp, because the root is going down and the tree is going up. And not only that, the root is invisible. So you're going to throw water on the ground, it appears. This is how it appears to the non-theistic sects or the atheistic section, materialistic section of society. What are you doing? You're giving all your energy to nothing, to the invisible. It's all standing up here above the ground. Here's the tree. Here are the fruits, the leaves. You're ignoring all of that. And taking the water and just throwing it on the ground. So the tree is the world, the society, and all of its charm, its fruits, its flowers, its, its branches that hold us up, and, and so on and so forth, its trunk that stands and as a, as a pillar of, of stability, and, and so forth. And, but the theistic, the devotional, the devotees, they know that there's something underground that keeps the whole thing uh, afloat, so to speak. So the roots of the tree, and we pour the water there. And by pouring the water on the ground, it goes into the roots, and the whole tree is nourished. This is our shraddha. This is our faith. Give your energy there. And that root, then, therefore the emphasis, again, Krishna's too, Bhagavan, Swayam. If, if he's the source of all the avatars, then well, he's the source of everything else as well, is the idea. All those who descend within the world to tell us about it, who understand it, who are transcendent to it, from them we can we can also understand that they are as they have a source, so the world has a source and it's and it's the same. So by pouring water on the source, by giving our energy to Krishna, he's a taker by appearance. But what's not seen and stood at a glance is that he's the biggest giver. Just like the root. It looks like it is giving money to Krishna, giving time to Krishna, energy, life to Krishna, lifetimes to Krishna. 
he's just taking and dancing with gopis. But <laughs> people will com- complain about this. But it's mystical, like the roots underneath the tree. By giving to him, then that energy is distributed in a way that it could not possibly otherwise as widely nourish and uh, help to uh, sustain and, and bring about growth to others. We should be convinced about this point and cast ourselves and our, ourselves means our hearts, our capacity to, to give into the invisible, so to speak. As much as we're convinced that we should pour water on the root of the tree, though a child might say, wait a minute, the tree's up here. This is an adult understanding. Pour the water on the, on the ground into the root. So, so Krishna, Bhagwan, he's all attractive. He has all opulences in full. And if we study him and his different appearances, then uh, we'll be... Um, Drawn in with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela, as I said, these two are most important. Mahaprabhu, in regard to Ram, we don't find many appearances of Ram and Leela, but we find that the Ram, the substance of the Ram Leela, the Mariada, pervades Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's person. And by it, he shows us what? How to live the moral and ethical life and be cured of our criminality that tendency within us for taking. How to live that in the context of pursuing a life beyond morality. So don't be a big moralist, but don't be immoral. This is the idea. (laughs) Too big of a moralist, you will not be able to understand Krishna and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, especially Krishna. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tries to make it a little easier by being moralist and setting an example in that regard and at the same time reaching beyond how can a person so moral as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the idea be worshipping the immoral Krishna unless there's something more than a, what meets the eye? And there is, as I'm explaining. So, Ram Lila, Ram is important. He's a Sadaishvari avatar. Of course, he's a human-like, so that's important too because we're all humans. And that endears him to us, perhaps more than some of the other avatars, a little harder to relate to uh, for some understandably, than, than, than humans, because we are humans. But here we have, then, the, the second of the two most important, Bhagavan Narsingha, and he's half-man. Mm-hmm. He's half-lion. So amongst the beasts, he's the top. He's the king of beasts, as they say, and human at the same time. So this is, of course, a very stunning avatar that really stands out amongst amongst so many, just due to the, the combination of man and animal appearance. Perhaps he, in one sense, wants to emphasize that in many respects man is an animal, unfortunately, and, and nonetheless um, he can, and, and she, humanity, can rise above animality at the same time. So we're, we're, we're reminded both in, in the Shingo Bhagavan of our conditioning which takes us towards animality and our potential as a human being to become superhuman and, and transcendent, even, as I say, beyond law. Animality means to be beyond law, <laughs> meaning the law, uh, unfortunately. And so we are oftentimes 
in human dress beneath the law, but the human life is such that we can go beyond the law, above the law. So both of these are we're reminded of in the appearance of Bhagavan Bhavan who in Gorlila is much more of a much more of an overt presence, I think, that Ramlila his presence is more uh, subdued, although permeating the person of Mahaprabhu, particularly as his son, as a sannyasi, where he taught us in his sannyas lila, his acharya lila, how to, as I say, reach beyond morality. But Shingo Bhagavan is making many personal appearances in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and pervades it as well, perhaps even more than uh, than than Ram. And uh, I'll give a good uh, example to help us appreciate this point. There are many, but I spoke of some last night. But one that comes to mind is the um, we've been studying the Bhagavatam of late and how important of a book that is, how important it was to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. These things have been brought out. And um, it's noteworthy that how important Bhagavan Narasimha is in relation to Srimad Bhagavatam. Not merely that he takes up almost an entire canto, his Leela, seventh canto, and is part, and a big part, of a narrative that even has its beginnings in an earlier, in the third canto, with the fall of Jai and Vijay from Vaikuntha and so forth. Not only in that sense is he prominent in regard to the Bhagavatam, but in another way also. And that is that um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he had a great respect for the ancient commentator, Sridhar Swami. Sridharer Anugat. He said, the fa- to those who follow in Puri, Balabacharya, uh, wanted to bring before Mahaprabhu his own commentary on Sriman Bhagavatam, in which he said he outdid the commentary of Sridhar Swami. Uh, Mahaprabhu didn't appreciate the way he was thinking about that and considered it prideful, as represented by Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. And so he wouldn't entertain that commentary, he wouldn't listen to it. He said, Sridhar er Anugat, who follows of Sridhar Likana? The writings of Sridhar on Sumat Bhagavatam means who follows the commentary of Sumat Bhagavatam. This person will become widely respected in the world. And someone who in some way undermines or makes less, more out of his own and less out of out of Sridhar Swami, so this is he's not going to get anywhere in the world, not in my world, the world of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that's what happened to who to Balaba, who became like an ugly duckling amongst swans the swan-like associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri. Of course, Balaba, we have the greatest regard for. He's a great devotee. Mahaprabhu later gave him blessing, have his own sampradaya and so forth. But at this point in the Leela, Mahaprabhu detected some pride in him and taught all of us through this not to be prideful, that our efforts to glorify the Lord are all dependent upon the mercy of the previous acharyas. We may do more than them, by their grace, something like that. We may extend what they have given by their grace, and if we forget it's by their grace and some pride comes in, then it's all for naught. So what we find in the Goswami commentaries of Sanatana Goswami, Vaishnav Toshini, 
commentary on the tenth canto. Shijiva Goswami's Kramsundarbha, a commentary on the entirety of Sumad Bhagavatam. Vishwanachakvitakur's commentary on, on Sumad Bhagavatam. The um, Satsundarbha of Jiva Goswami, which is another explanation of Sumad Bhagavatam. In all of these commentaries, explanations, elucidations on Srimad Bhagavatam by the Gaudiya charges, we find they all trace back to respect for Sridhar Swami. They cite his commentary and go on from there, for the most part. I mean, just about throughout. And Sridhar Swami says, and Sridhar Swami says, and Sridhar Swami says. So they very much embraced this insight of uh, insight and appreciation uh, of uh, Sridhar Swami. The virtue of this commentary was, uh, has been explained by Jiva Goswami in his, in his Tattva Sundarbha. The commentary was written in, in, presented in Kasi, in Banaras, in, which as we know from our study of Chaitanya Charitamrita was a stronghold of impersonalism. Buddhist and uh, Mayavad stronghold, stronghold of learning, of gyan, not of bhakti, Purtapan Mishra, Purchandra Shekhar. They were stranded, uh, dropped off the bus in, in, in Banaras, and there was, no, <laughs> there was no bhakti there. But Mahaprabhu ordained it, he sent them there. Mahaprabhu told Tapan Mishra in East Bengal, when he, appear, he first appeared to him in a dream, when, when Tapan was pondering the meaning of life and how to attain it, it means that he is, was studying so many different paths and whatnot to ascertain what is the best uh, sadhya and sadhana, best goal and how to attain that. And Mahaprabhu appeared to him in a dream and then in person the next day and told him that the best means and ends is what, Tadiya? What did he say? Bhakti, yes, but in particular he said, chanting the holy name. This is the means, this is the ends. Namsan Kirtan. And then he told them, go to Banaras, wait for me there. Mahaprabhu was still a householder, so he knew he would take sannyas at that time. He was showing his omniscience at that time. I will later, he didn't say it, but he meant, later I'll take sannyas. I'll come there. I have my purpose. And, if, and how can I go there if what? What is Mahaprabhu thinking? How can I go there if there are no devotees? <laughs> the Lord is never without his devotees. He goes wherever his devotees are. So he sends them the import of this course. He sends them to different places beforehand. And then he comes. He told Brahma, when Brahma went to the ocean of milk and requested his presence, he said, yeah, I'll come and tell all the devas to come beforehand and, and different places who are all devotees of the sort. And then, of course, he sent his eternal associates. We read in Chaitanya Charitamrita before the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Dashoda came, Nanda Maharaj came, Vishru Paldev came, and so on and so forth. Advaita is there, Srivas. So all the players are assembled, and, and then he comes. So he wasn't about to go to Banaras himself, where there's no bhakti, but he sent his devotees, <laughs> and they're willing to go. They're stronger than him in bhakti. <laughs> so, of course, he appeared there in, 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 in taking his bath there, 
Dapalmishra saw a beautiful sannyasi and he was astounded. And then he, by that time, the news had rippled throughout India that Nimai Pandit had taken sannyasa. And so he put the two together and realized this is, this is Nimai Pandit as Sri Krishna Chaitanya. And of course, there was Prashad for Mahaprabhu and, uh, and, and housing and so forth with Dapalmishra and Chandrasekhar. So uh, it was there in this uh, God-forsaken place, this was of course before the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that uh, Sridhar Swami uh, presented his commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam and it was rejected by the community of the Dvaitans because it was filled with descriptions of the eternality of the form of the Lord and the super-excellence of bhakti over jnana and the nature of Surup Shakti and the eternality of the Leela and so forth. I mean, it just starts out like that. At the same time, it's interwoven with commentary that appears to be supportive of the Advaitin commentary. Now, you really can't put these two things together. They just don't mix. That the Lord has no form and the Lord has an eternal form. And, and so Jiva Goswami has explained to us in Tattvasandarva what Mahaprabhu appreciated in Sridhar Swami was the bhakti and the emphasis on bhakti and the eternality of the Lord and so forth and the uh, nature of the uh, shakti of Bhagavan given by Sridhar Swami and that other parts of the commentary that seem to give a monistic and not a theistic monistic but just a solely monistic interpretation were presented by Sridhar Swami as bait, Jiva Goswami says, to hook the Mayavadi fish and catch them in and pluck them out of the ocean of, of their ignorance and make them into devotees. So he saw it, Jiva Goswami saw it as a kind of a preaching ploy, which again, as we said before, sometimes preaching and siddhanta are not always the same. That uh, seems to be... Um, Something from ancient ancient times, as Prabhupada put it in modern times, by hook or by crook, sell the book, he said. So, it's a bit of a means justifies the ends, which is a little hard to hear. And uh, we have to temper that, of course. And uh, we find that Jiva Goswami, or Jiva Goswami had done it in a nice way. It makes sense to us. Uh, by taking from Sridhar Swami all of those elements about uh, bhakti and about the eternality of the form of the Lord and so forth and and honoring them and citing those in his commentary and so forth. So all of the Gaudi Acharyas have followed the lead of Sridhar Swami following the advice of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And there in Kasi when he made the presentation at first it wasn't appreciated but nonetheless it was, it was a pretty good commentary and it was it was a, kind of a new idea and so, also the, the person of Sridhar couldn't be brought into, into, into question. Perfect sannyasi from the, the um, Rudrasam, not Rudrasampradaya, but yeah, Rudrasampradaya, which later became the Balabha Sampradaya. It's Shiva's Vaishnava Sampradaya. You might expect to find something like this in his, um, his sect. It, Balabha called it Shuddhadvaita. Inappropriately, Shuddha Advaita, pure Advaita philosophy, meaning that the, the ad, cable Advaita, just exclusive Advaita, is impure Advaita. 
So, and, and Shiva, of course, is the deity of Kasi and, and of the, the Mahabodhis. Uh, adore anyone, it's, it's um, Shiva. He's more naturally their, their ideal, their devata, but many of them take to Krishna because they know very easily they can get mukti through Krishna. But uh, Shiva's more naturally, the, because, because he's a jnani, or he, he's a bhakti, of course, but his gan side is more prominent, very thoughtful, and said that he counted every atom in existence. And, uh, he's an analytical type, this uh, <laughs> Shiva. So uh, it's attractive to the to the to, to the impersonalists, and, and of course he he does overtly renunciations, which is their path. The corollary of jnana is vairagya, and and um, so if you have knowledge, then why should you pursue non-enduring things when you're actually in pursuit of enduring happiness? So all the renunciation of naked swami sannyasins and so forth, and austerities of the Himalayas and. All this is um, out of some attachment to, to, to Shiva. He shows that side. Of course, there's a whole explanation, Vaishnava explanation, of why, why he shows that side and what's more important about Shiva and so forth. But this um, escapes the uh, impersonalists. And of course, no, and nobody says more flattering things about Shiva than, than we do, ultimately. But anyway, there he's the main deity in Kashi. And... Uh, he is, the, you know, the main temple. Is what is it? What's the name of that temple? I forget now. But big, big Shiva temple. So, it was proposed that we take the book, the manuscript of Sridhar Swami on Bhagavatam, and put it before the deity of Shiva. And so they did. And then from that, a verse came from the deity. It goes something like this: um, Sukhobeti. Vyasuveti, Rajuveti Naveti Va, Sridharam Hi Sarvam Veti Srinasinga Prasadataha. The deity, Shiva, spoke. He said, Sukadev, Sukhoveti, Sukadev knows the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam. Vyasuveti, Vyas knows the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam. Raj Parikshit, he might know, he might not, not sure about that. But Sridharam he sarvam beti. One thing for sure, he said, you should be certain about this. Sridhar sarvam beti. Sridhar knows everything. Srinasinga prasadata, by the grace and the mercy of Nasinga Bhagavan. So his Ishtadevata, his deity, just like that boy. What is his name? Young man? Dhruva. Dhruva. We saw in the movie last night. He had a sangskar for Bhagavan Nishinga. This is his Ishtadevata. He's spending his life going from temple to temple, discovering new, new and old, unknown uh, to many, temples of Bhagavan Nishinga all over uh, India. This is his preoccupation in deep into the jungles and and you could see him, he just seemed like such a natural. He would reach up and touch the deity and see, see, look here, he has his arm here and his hand here, and isn't he beautiful, and so forth. He looked like a prahlad almost, huh? He was a young, young man at the time of the movie. Endearing, appropriate. So Srila Swami, has, was, this was his deity, Nishinga Bhagavan. And he wrote the commentary, this, this kind of seminal commentary, if you will, on Bhagavatam, that the Gaudiyas were taught by Mahabodhu Revere and follow. 
when I went to Jaipur once, then I, of course, I went there a couple of times, but I visited the different Gaudiya deities, Radha Govinda, Radha Damodar are there, some debate whether that's the original deity of Jiva Goswami or the original one is in Vrindavan and so forth. But at the Radha Damodar uh, representation of, uh, of Jiva Goswami's deity in Jaipur, there's also a deity of Nishingadev that uh, Sri Jiva Goswami worshipped. So naturally I bowed my head before Bhagavan Nishinga and prayed to him that I might be blessed to understand the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam. As he blessed Sridhar Swami, whose blessings then come onto the head of Jiva Goswami and that whole Sampradaya for revering him and following his lead as advocated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, how, if Bhagavatam is central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, if it's the very heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and difficult to understand anybody's heart, what to speak of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's heart, therefore difficult, if not impossible, to understand. Srimad Bhagavatam, we, nonetheless, that's our task, so we need mercy. And here's the person to go to, Bhagavan Nishinga. How more central to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela can this be, the, the revealer, the lead revealer of the significance of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is our main text. And the person of Bhagavan Nishinga, in many respects, personifies the Bhagavatam also, you think about it. Tavakara Kamalavare Nakam Adbuta Sringham Tavakara Kamalavare Nakam He's Tavakara Kamalavare Nakam He has hands like a lotus Beautiful lotus hands And on the ends they have nails Nakam Adbuta Sringham He's wonderful and extraordinary He's this combination of beauty and charm, like the lotus. The lotus embodies the, the beauty of the world, soft, charming, and, uh, and uh, beautiful and comforting. Bhagavatam is like that. But it has nails, too. <laughs> it has nails. And it tears apart our misconceptions and exposes our anarthas so adeptly. It says, Nasta Prayeshu Abhadveshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shlokir Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki. Regular study of the Bhagavatam. They will tear apart all these intestine like anarthas that made up the very body of the personification of evil, Haranyakashipu, materialism. Haranyakashipu, what does it mean? It's like, Gold and soft beds, so women and money, you know, it means. <laughs> the opposite sex and, and, and money. This is what the material life is, is about for human society. And pursuing that unabated, then you become just a big, ferocious animal, submoral. And uh, so Bhagavatam is meant to just, just dissect and tear and expose it for what it is. The Shinga Bhagavan with his beautiful lotus-like hands and sharp nails. He tore apart the body of, this is the idea of Haranyakashipu, right at the stomach, and pulled out his, in, his intestines and then garlanded himself with the, with the intestines by way of saying that, that if, if you give your anarthas to me, give them up to me, then 
you become beautified by that. I'll become pleased. If the deity becomes pleased by when we bring forward a clean heart, is the idea. So his person, anyway, in one respect, personifies the uh, the Bhagavatam. You know, we, we speak of the Radha Bhagavatam, and it's true, and this is what it's all about, and so on and so forth, and, and the Brajalila, and the, the beauty of Radha's love for Krishna, and so forth. But it's a rose, you know, with the complete, with the thorns as well. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the other nine cantos and, and, and so forth are emphasized. The thorns are there in the Brajalila, that's, there's no doubt about that. But they're more subtle, and the pangs of separation and and, and the plight of the uh, Brajabhasis at Krishna's apparent departure and so forth. But um, it's more, as I say, subtle. Other parts of the Bhagavatam, it's, it's more clear that there are uh, thorns we have to get through to get to the rose. We have to get the rose, that sweet fragrance of the Brajalila. We have to dispense of our anartha. So, Bhagavan Nishinga for uh, so much uh, personifies this. He's called Bhakti Vignami Nashana. So, obstacles to Bhakti he removes. And those obstacles are really not outside of ourselves, they're within ourselves. So, he wants to get inside to the innards, <laughs> so to speak, and pull out the innards of our material, makeup of our material life. And so, with great regard, we revere him, and for such good reason. Uh, other than this kind of indirect or subtle way in which he is present in the Gorlila, as I said, Ram is present in a subtle way as well, indirectly. He doesn't make many direct appearances. And Shingham personally makes so many appearances in Gorlila. And um, uh, one of the more famous is early on, in the very beginning of the Sankirtan movement, when, of course, he appeared to chastise the Chandkazi who tried to stop the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which had begun for the sake of the pious jivas who were interested in joining Mahaprabhu's ideal. He came out of his secluded um, private kirtans in the house of Srivast Thakur to take his kirtan to the streets. And there was complaints, and it was brought to the magistrate, and he stopped the kirtan, broke the murdanga, and, of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said Heck with him, we go to his house tonight, and 100,000 men and women went there by torchlight performing kirtan, and the Chandakazi came out at Mahaprabhu's request and was a little nervous. Mahaprabhu told him, don't be nervous, it's all right. We're friends, we're from the same village, and uh, you're like my uncle. And the Chandakazi said, I'm, not, I'm like your uncle, why are you tearing up my gardens? <laughs> why are you upset? Your people are a little like uncontrollable here. They were just like, you can imagine, energized by the 20, 24, 23-year-old Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a young boy. He's going to lead a revolution against the Muslim government. I mean, that's incredible. How energized they were, how, how, how invincible they felt in the young, young lad's presence. Such was his, his conviction in Sankirtan. And so the, they were like, as I say, energized. They were stomping on, shaking his house and trampling his gardens. And, and there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of them. So um, Mahaprabhu said, oh, don't worry about them. They, they, they'll do whatever I say. And, uh, uh, but, you know, why have you stopped the kirtan and so forth? And they had a little debate about the real meaning of religion. 
And then the Chandakazi wanted to tell him something in confidence. Mahaprabhu said, all these people, they're, my, they're mine. I have a confidential relationship with them. We take up then some Thompson Kirtan. They're my people. They're the Harijan. They are dear in this way, as Bhaktisiddhanta said, it is what Pujala The people of Hari, they do kirtan. They play that drum, the favorite instrument of Nishingadev, and do loud kirtan. And, uh, and, and, and they worship that ideal of Ragmark, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught. So, These are my people, he said. We're in confidence here. Don't worry. You can say whatever you say to me, you can say to them. So then he told the story of how the night before the lion, a man-like lion, beast had appeared in the dream and then landed on his chest and started tearing apart his heart and told him, don't ever break that drum again. That's my favorite instrument. And then when he woke up, there were scratches on his, like an lion's claw marks on his chest. He opened his kurta and showed his heart to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. All the devotees. <laughs> imagine how they how they felt to see that and understand that, that Bhagavan Mishinga was protecting them, protecting the son Kirtan. When we had difficulty in New York with Kirtan, harassment and so forth from the people, then Prabhupada gave us this song. The, the preface that he we, we put the two together, Jayadev's verses about Mishinga Dev from his Gita Govinda combined with the prayers that, that Mahaprabhu Sang in uh, the Stotram, the, the prayers there in uh, in Puri. Namaste, Narasimhaya, Prada, Lada, Dahine, Hedanyakashipu, Baksha, Silatangana, Alaye. And for the protection he gave, you chant this for protection of the Sankirtan. So it's true that we think of Bhagavan Mishinga as, as the as Bhakti Bhigdhamrinashana, he destroys obstacles to Bhakti, the obstacles within ourselves and so forth. And, and um, if there's any external obstacles, if it could be so, then that, that as well, we can pray to him. But also, it's an important point that, in a sense, uh, that uh, devotees, the sadhus, Vaishnav sadhus, their company destroys all obstacles to bhakti. So, what is the need then to worship Nishingadev? This is the point. And in Bhakti Vinatakur's prayers, you may know, Mama Bhakta Kriva Bole Vigna Javedura. Mama Bhakta Bole Vigna Javedura. The obstacles, Dura, they go far away, Nishingadev said, by keeping the company of my. Devotees. So from his own lotus mouth, Nishingadev Bhagavan makes the same point. I'm thought of, the idea is, as the, as the protector of bhakti. But the fact of the matter is, if you keep the good company of sadhus, they'll destroy all obstacles to bhakti. Those who, who don't understand that as well, not as advanced, they worship me to become free from obstacles. But they're more competent than me even. This is a heavy point of our philosophy, the importance of the Vaishnava, not that we should not regard the Shingo Bhagavan, but that's his own statement from the pen of Bhakti Thakur. Yes, I do destroy, destroy obstacles, and I did that in my Leela, I demonstrated that by protecting Prahlad and destroying Aranyakashipu, 
Yeah, I, I take pleasure in that. It's true, but there's a little Nishringa in all of my, my devotees. <laughs> Something like that, this is the idea. In all of the Gorbhaktas, there's a little bit of Nishringa days. Yeah? So, anyway, a, a very important uh, avatar for us, and uh, many wonderful things to be learned from the Leela, from the ba- very basic thing, uh, you know, from a psychological perspective, it's a father-son, you know, disagreement. It's a big father-son, parent-child disagreement. And in the end, of course, the child becomes a teacher of the parent, which is a, so, such a wonderful thing, because the basic idea, of course, you, you, you obey your mother and father. It's a commandment. Obey your mother and father. Bhagavatam puts a twist on it. What does he say in the fifth canto? I think it's Perlad speaking, actually. That um, the fifth canto says... One should not become a father. One should not become a mother. One should not become a guru or any such role model for others in life. How does that go? Unless. Namuchayadya samupeta mityam. Guru nasasyad jananina sasyad. Pitana sasyad. Don't become a guru, a teacher, a father, a parent, a mother. Uh, any kind of role model, unless you can free your dependence from birth and death. This is a real teaching. This is what will really help the people, because people are jivas in the plight of material existence. This is ultimate knowledge. And so, Prahlad disobeyed his father. Father-son uh, rift and, uh, and, and in the end, of course, he became the teacher. He said, teach your parents well. You know that song? It was a famous song in the, in the 60s. <laughs> uh, yeah, Crosby, Stills, Nash. And, yeah. uh, nice song. Teach your parents well. So, of course, I guess we did that in some respect. But... Um, this is the Bhagavatam reversing the whole thing out, of course. You, you, you learn from the parents, but the son becomes the teacher of the parent. In the end, it was Prahlad praying. Nishingadev asked so many things. Take this. I'm Bhagavan. I've come. Take my blessing. You should take it. No, I don't want anything. No, I don't want anything. Amikichu China. Amikichu China. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. Take something. I order you to take something. Well, if it's for your pleasure, on that basis, if for you, if you want, on that basis, then I'll take something, I'll take this. Give a blessing to my, to my father, who was so inimical to Prahlad and so forth. So, much to be learned from, from that, that fathers can learn from children even. This is a good lesson. They should be open to that. A kind of the whole Leela is about openness in many respects to, to new things and different things, unexpected things. As I said last night, it's also about in-betweens and the ambiguity that comes at such times where there seems to be a lack of how, knowing of how to go forward and so forth. The message of the Nishinga Leela is, is that Bhagwan is near at such times. He's near. You have to reach out to him only. He's accessible at such times. He's very close. And there's an openness that comes at that time, and a vulnerability that comes at such times. See, when what, a, what an extraordinary way he's present to help us. So these are real human, you know, 
crises and so forth, crises within the family, with the parents, and with just transitions in life from one one stage to another, from one one plan to another, and so forth. And um, these are times of, as I say, of vulnerability, ambiguity, and uh, and where you least might expect to find such powerful help <laughs> available. And that's to the Bhagavatam. It's available. And which avatar is depicting this? Such a powerful one. I mean, you just take one look and you think, he, he can do something. <laughs> what he does exactly, I'm not sure, but it's something powerful. Uh, I'll end up tonight, this, this afternoon with a story that Agni Dave told me last night. That's quite nice. He, as you know, he became the temple president in Iskon's Laguna Beach Temple at a time when the temple had been occupied by, by people who were devotees largely in name, only their, that's to say that their conduct didn't correspond with the, um, the decorum mandated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by any stretch. They were uh, dealing uh, drugs in a huge, they had a huge drug ring. The Prophet was present at the time, and this, somehow this happened. This little town, Laguna Beach, they didn't have a big temple there, but a little presence. And the fellow that was there in charge was, was involved, I guess, right, in, a, in a drug ring. And they were smuggling heroin and heavy drugs. And uh, devotees were going overseas and bringing it from I don't know, India or somewhere in suitcases. And, and they were making all this money and, and so forth. And they were trying to you know, make up for it by giving some donations here and there to different GBCs. It was a huge moral deviation within ISKCON that was taking place. And as it was found out, Agni Dave was sent to the rescue to clean up the temple. So there, this tells you something about, you know, who he is. And, and, uh, and so, and he did it. He did it. He and his good wife, Ramachintamani, single-handedly. And the mess was so bad that at one point there was a murder from the New Jersey mob scene, mafia, a hitman was sent to kill one or a couple of devotees who had, you know, hadn't paid up or, or something like that. And the hitman got killed, obviously, by the people who he was supposed to kill. And so Laguna Beach is a small, very upscale Southern California town on the beach. Orange County, right? It's like a Republican county too in California. Wealthy, upscale, conservative people. And the headlines came out in the Laguna Beach newspaper, this big, in red ink. When was the last time you saw a headline in red ink to bring people's attention? Krishna's drugs murder. <laughs> and of course it was picked up by the AP, yeah, Reuters and so forth. And when every newspaper in the world, every television station, every radio station, and they're Agni's friends trying to clean up the whole mess. And you know, in the midst of it, this, this happens, right? I mean, he had secured the little... This is just after you got the new building, right? No, I, I hadn't got the new... Hadn't got the new building. It's in the old little, little rented building? or the, yeah, yeah. the house. Yeah, rented house. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't taking any money from these people. He wasn't allowing them to participate. They'd like to come and give a donation and be allowed to do Arctic, and they think they just, you know, made up for their sin or something like that. 
Agni rightly understood it's nama parad, you know, you can't do that here. Sin and on the strength of the holy name and so forth. So he was really cleaning the whole place up and then this happened. And so they call a press conference and and, uh, and a devotee who was a PR person from Los Angeles came down and they wanted to explain that, you know, that, that ISKCON's position and this was, it's not us, you know, there are bad devotees and, you know, they're not affiliated with us and Agni's been here and gotten rid of them and so on and so forth. And they had a little press packet they gave out and everything. So the reporters were all around in the temple room taking pictures and they had video crews and you know, microphones and pens and pads and so forth. And Agni's at the door as they're filing out and there's this big picture of the Shringa Bhagavan there. So one of the reporters looks up and sees that and goes, Agni could just see his mind and go, aha! And he looks at it and it's like blood and, you know, killing and he's tearing Aranyakashipu apart. And he's not sure what to make of it exactly, but he thinks, I got him here, you know. They made a nice story, a nice presentation of what they're really all about. They're nonviolent, you know. They don't condone any of these kind of things, you know. They're vegetarian even. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hurt a flea, you know. <laughs> We're not a cult, you know. We're just nice people. This is our religion. And Krishna is our deity. He plays the flute only, you know. He dances with Radha, you know. And they are, yeah, okay, but, you know. And then he sees the picture of the Shinga and he thinks, I got him. Wow. But he's not quite sure, you know, what to make of it. So he turns to Agni and says, what's that? And Agni could like read his mind like in, or Agni said, just said to him, what do you think it is? He just looked at it and he just walked out. He's, it's like Mishinga looked at him and said, you better not. <laughs> the guy just kind of thought like, I better just leave here. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, he could have taken a picture and that would have showed up on the headline, on the news, you know, and deity and in, in, in temple, you know, all they say, nonviolent, you know. So he has a look of, you know, better watch out. Don't mess, <laughs> don't mess with my devotees, something like that. And that's a, a kind of a, I've heard other stories like that where bringing him into the picture, you might think would like, uh-oh, this is really going to alienate people. It has another effect. He, through his depiction in art and so forth, has a way of telling demonic people or those who might want to use it against him, you might want to think twice about that. <laughs> so, Bhagavan Nishinga Ki Jai, Sri Nishinga Chaturasi Mahamotsvatiti Ki Jai, Sri Gauranga Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Gaurila Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavinda Ki Jai, O Premanande, Hari Hari Bhav.